welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we explore the natural environment, our society, and a company's governance structure through the lens of the weekly news. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week, Andrew Young, an analyst out of our London office, joins Rick Marshall and me to discuss the recent revelation that Google is tracking us with secret web pages. And then Megan Eastman joins Rick and me to discuss the latest in the Monsanto Bayer glyphosate saga. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. So on Wednesday, it was reported that Google is being accused by an Irish data regulator of hiding web pages that fed the personal data of its users to advertisers by assigning each user a secret number that was farmed out to advertising firms. While this was being reported, simultaneously, the Federal Trade Commission announced that YouTube, which you all know is owned by Google, agreed to pay $170 million to U.S. regulators accused of violating the Children's One Privacy Protection Act by allowing advertisers to target children, which sounds way more sketchy than it is, but that's two problems Google has with sharing data. Okay, before we go into why another data privacy privacy story is worth discussing, I should do the stat card for Alphabet's Google. Remember at MSCI ESG Research, one of the things we do is rank companies on a triple C to triple A scale based on their ESG risk factors. Google is ranked at a double A because it has better than average human capital development processes and it isn't really pollutive and because it has robust data security mechanisms. Remember, the company doesn't need to worry about hackers stealing their data if they're just selling it themselves. Which brings me to the story's lead, advertisement and data privacy. So 90% of Google's revenues are based on advertising dollars. That includes YouTube. Facebook, who the FTC fined $50 billion recently, you'll remember, has around 99% of its revenues based on advertisement dollars. And these are some of the largest companies in the world, so each has cornered a multi-billion dollar advertising market that grew around 29% last quarter. Basically, if you want to advertise, you go to Facebook or Google. Yet, this business model means that companies have to sell personal data to advertisers, or they wouldn't really be a business. They'd just be free, utopian internet. So this seems like quite the corporate pickle. And Andrew, as our lead on companies like Facebook and Google, I was wondering if you could shed some light as to how a company that has a business model based on sharing private data can save themselves from the e- uneasy world of sharing personal data for profit. It might not be up to only these companies um, if uh, if regulators start to start to limit uh, the scope of their operations, you know, from an anti-competition point of view, that you'd like this, like this Facebook uh, cryptocurrency, they might want to limit their ability to move into other markets. So, Right, since they've so far been cut off of cryptocurrency, the one business model they might have tiptoed into, there seems to be a lack of viable options on the table. And Rick, if you could jump in on this and discuss what the board would have to do in situations like this where they're tied to these revenues that are A, under attack by regulators, or B, just uh, at risk of personal backlash, consumer backlash? The the Google board is facing enormous challenges in in a number of different uh, fronts. And and it's important to note here that that Google is is no longer, you know, the, the new company fresh out of the gate here. 
um, it's still growing, but but we we're now we're now looking at a board that's not um, a newly IPO'd founder firm board. Um, we're looking at a board where four directors have been there for 20 years, all the way back to the IPO. Two of those, of course, are the founders. Um, these are not old individuals necessarily. The two founders are still under 50, which is younger than the average U.S. director uh, by far, and certainly the average U.S. CEO. But nevertheless, this is you know getting to be an old company. This company has been around, and the the way they've built the company and the way they continue to build the company is reliant on a few very specific business models that were developed over the past 20 years, and hasn't been um, the big innovations that built the company in the first place. Right. Google has tried to diversify its revenue streams. It's attempting to build up its cloud storage capacity to compete with Amazon. It's working on AI development, though it hit a snag when its employees found out that it was contracting with the Pentagon to develop AI, and everybody kind of freaked. Facebook, to my knowledge, has only one has really only tried to diversify its business model with one thing. That's Libra, its cryptocurrency. That got shut down. So if we assume these business models of these companies aren't really going to change, Andrew, what should they do from an ESG perspective so they don't lose investor confidence? I think what the company can do is to maintain trust on both sides of that equation. So trust with their users, telling the users, just like these principles of uh, the, uh, the EU's general data protection regulations say, tell the users what data you're collecting and how you're using it and delete it after you've used it and then on the regulator side as well tell them the same things tell them how we're using the data right well what if i what if i'm telling you i'm stabbing you but i stab you does that matter isn't aren't you still getting stabbed and shouldn't shouldn't the board have made a strategic decision to try to build out of this one volatile business model that is advertising because when we're talking, when we talked before this call, Rick, um, you were telling me that you're starting to get worried about some of Google's motives when you type something into the search engine and you avoid any kind of sponsored ad. So it seems like the board is losing some of its competitive edge and long-term viability, right? The reason why we don't click on that, that first ad is because now, because we're all more aware of what data they collect and how they use it, um, that, is, that, is, that reflects the chipping away of consumer trust. So what that means for the long term is that there might be another search engine with a similar algorithm that will provide the same service but do it free of charge. Right, or a massive fine thrown at them from the EU's general data protection regulation or the company founders being replaced by some money-hungry troll that has access to all this data and is okay with selling it off. <laughs> But these are new companies that are coming out that are IPOing now, and they're coming out with a dual class share, and they're coming uh, structure, and they're and they have founders who are um, essentially going to control the company indefinitely without sunset provisions. Um, they uh, can see their future in where Google is at now because that's what they did 20 years ago. What does come next? Where does this go? How does this transition? Will this do what, say, the Heinz company did a century ago, practically now, transition to a family firm and then eventually a widely held firm? Um, 
or, you know, how, how do those transitions happen? There's huge questions here around these companies that are so built around the energy, the innovative energy of a founder. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the things that makes this most interesting and also most challenging for investors. At what point does Google become more risky than it is rewarding? There, there, is, there is a difference, I, I feel, between Facebook and Google and these other, these new, newer, the newer class of tech companies because the Facebook and Google revenue model is so strong, there's basically no variable cost in what they offer, whereas an Uber or a WeWork, of course, they have overheads that they have to, they have to service. These other companies have to sort of figure out a way to profitability, whereas Facebook and Google just have to figure out a way to maintain the trust of, of regulators and users. For our next story, The Guardian has reported that on Wednesday, the German government announced that it would ban the use of the controversial weed killer glyphosate due to its damaging effects on our ecosystem and to humans who use the product. Glyphosate, remember, is sold under the trade name Roundup, which is made by Bayer subsidy Monsanto. And Monsanto, you'll remember, has been a constant in the news as more than 18,000 plaintiffs have brought suit against its parent company, Bayer, in the past year, basically, claiming Roundup was an improperly labeled carcinogen and an ecological menace. So quickly for our stack card for Bayer as we do at this time, it is rated a double B, and that is because in April 2019, 55% of shareholders voted against ratifying the actions of the management board. This is a very strong form of protest made available to investors under German law, the outcome of the vote being effectively a vote of, quote, no confidence, meaning shareholders basically don't like what the management is doing and feel they are generally unfit to hold the position of power. It's tough stuff. Anyway, Germany is not alone in its decision to eventually ban glyphosate. Austria became the first EU member to outlaw it, its use in July, with restrictions also enforced in the Czech Republic, Italy, and the Netherlands. France is planning to phase it out by 2023. That means that this is a systemic problem for Bayer and glyphosate and Monsanto, and it's been controversial for a while, and the whole affair calls Bayer's board into question as to why they would acquire Monsanto. So, Rick, I was looking through the board before this call, and... There's only one scientific expert heading their farmer ring, but the board member that's billed as the crop science expert doesn't seem to have a science background. That's cause for alarm. It's no? a little bit more complicated than that with 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 Bayer though, because this is a um, this is a dual board structure. This has a dual board structure. There's a supervisory board and a management board. Right, and the supervisory board does indeed have a good number of scientists available for comment. So Bayer's management is doubling down on every earnings call, saying they think the cancer claims are overblown and the science isn't being accurately discussed. And I'm no chemist, so I, like others, have to rely on the regulatory bodies to let me know if a certain chemical is a carcinogen, uh, which it has. glyphosate has been labeled as being a type 2 carcinogen, which is kind of the most important issue here, I think, the accuracy of science might be moot for an investor if you are being, if your company is being sued left and right, and the company is losing those battles publicly. It's 
having the company's name dragged through the mud repeatedly and having what may have been Bayer's long-term business plans somewhat hijacked by this in a way that they don't seem to have expected. And, and that's where I wonder whether it was misplaced perceptions or, or understanding of what it would actually be like to deal with it rather than simply the question of is it okay or not from that health perspective. And now shareholders are starting to push back harder on Bayer. That, that's the most important thing, the pushback from, from investors, the pushback from the company shareholders has been enormous. Um, I don't think they anticipate that, obviously, but as you say, Megan, they're they're stuck with it. Um, and, and you know, we're, we've been focusing on Roundup and glyphosate, but you mentioned earlier Monsanto's been very much a controversial company for a long, long time. All the GMO-related questions, which remain um, unresolved and unlitigated, um, what what Bayer did here was acquire um, a huge laundry list of future potential litigations, and and they're going to be stuck with that for quite some time. Well, in Bayer's defense, the pesticides business only makes up 31% of Monsanto's $15 billion revenue. And while its seeds are tied to the pesticides and those ready Roundup GMO seeds that Monsanto sells, it it is or, or was one of the leading agricultural developers. For example, in 2013, Monsanto purchased the San Francisco-based Climate Corp for $930 million. And that company makes these local weather forecasts for farmers, and they use data modeling and historical data, and it's really sophisticated, and it was kind of the first of its kind in some ways. And if the forecasts were wrong, Monsanto actually compensated the farmers. And it's the world's biggest supplier of seeds, which carries its own risks, because what if those seed strands got hit with a bacteria and we had no proper seed supply to back them up? But that's kind of a conversation for another time. Anyway, Bayer is one of the larger providers of fungicides and herbicides and insecticides and all the sides. And and so it, was, it seems like a good idea to have partnered up with Monsanto if we think about it as a business perspective. And yet all these synergistic benefits are being subverted by these ESG risk factors that our cohort was worried about. But it seems the Bayer management was not worried about them in, in the long term. And that is what I think is really important about this story because it's been going along for a while and it just hit another public snag. It's the fact that ESG factors have subverted all the seemingly sane business acquisition factors. So this is just a, a really clear case of where ESG is financially relevant in a really big way. And it's it's partly about the company's business and and what it can sell or what it can't sell and where and it's partly about the lawsuits that it's going to face and its reputation but all of that is driven by the environmental and social externalities of the product and the governance choices that pushed it all forward and it was a german company in bayer that acquired this american company which isn't nothing because in europe companies have to prove that a chemical isn't hazardous, while in the U.S. it's on the consumer to prove that a chemical is hazardous, which is really hard to do. It's difficult to make a link between a chemical that could be hazardous with a direct link to a problem because how are you going to test that on a human being? You can't feed them a possible carcinogen. 
And also, Europe hates GMOs. It makes me wonder what the board was thinking when they made this acquisition. All right, that's it. I wanted to thank Andrew, Megan, and Rick for joining me to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist. I wanted to thank our entire analyst team for allowing me to ramble about Monsanto for five minutes while they set my head straight. And I wanted to thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and rate us and shoot me an email and tell me what you think, regardless of whether or not it's good or bad, because I enjoy reading it. Thanks again. See you next week. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.